The reading is taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 to 18. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us as an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Thank you, Queenie. One thing that Christians love to talk about is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We love to talk about it. We love to sing about it like we have this morning. And we love to celebrate the hope that we have because of it. This resurrection hope, this hope that cannot be taken away, this eternal hope that we have in Jesus Christ. But what does it look like? What does it look like to have this hope? Or put it this way, imagine you went looking for someone who held this hope in themselves. What would it look like in their lives? What would you see in their lives? For those who are exploring Christian things, who are exploring Jesus, you want to know what it would mean for you in your life for you to make this hope your hope. For those who have put their hope and faith in Jesus Christ, we want to know what would it take to showcase this hope for the world? What would it involve to put this eternal hope on display for others to see? Well, in our passage this morning, what we find is that our eternal hope shines through suffering. Our eternal hope shines through suffering. You see, we're continuing in our little series in 2 Corinthians, this letter that's written from Paul to this church in Corinth. And we've seen each week how these Christians, they were questioning whether or not Paul really was an apostle of God. You see, if his ministry was glorious like we saw last week surely his life would look a lot more successful if his gospel proclaimed resurrection life surely he would look much more powerful if he was holding out eternal hope surely he would seem a lot more hopeful and so in 2 Corinthians, Paul makes his case. He explains his ministry. He defends his apostleship. 
And as he does that, we find words that are of utmost relevance to each of us here. I've heard it put it this way before. Paul here is being autobiographic, but it is also paradigmatic. See, he is laying out his personal story. But as he does that, he lays out the pattern that applies to all Christian believers. And we've seen what this pattern is over the past few weeks. The Christian life is characterized by weakness. In many ways, Christians will seem very weak. But for all who cling to Christ, there is strength in weakness. And this morning, it takes this shape. We have a hope that can face anything. But our eternal hope shines through suffering. That's what we see here in our passage this morning. We see it in Paul's pattern of life. And we see it in his perspective on life, both how he lives and then how he looks at life. And so with that in mind, why don't we jump in and see how it is that our hope shines through suffering. Let's start with Paul's pattern of life. Verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. This verse here, it stands as a sort of banner over the whole passage. It kind of stands as a summary of everything else that follows. And it gives us this image of Paul's pattern of life. Treasure, he says, in jars of clay. Now the treasure he's talking about here is the treasure of the gospel. The riches that we have in Jesus Christ. And so in a sense, it's everything that we've seen already over these few weeks. Deep comfort in the midst of trouble, lasting, transforming glory in Jesus Christ. And what we'll see today, the eternal hope we have because of his resurrection. That's the treasure, he means. And that treasure is found in jars of clay. That's the image he uses to describe himself, to describe all Christian believers. See, these jars of clay would be incredibly common in the ancient world. Very ordinary containers used for anything and everything. And as you use them, they get bumped and scratched and cracked. And so when we picture these jars of clay, we're not meant to picture those ornate ceramics that we would have on display up on the shelf or in the cabinet. No, I think we're to have in mind the things we use for takeout food. Those ordinary containers, incredibly common. And as we use them, they get bumped and scratched and cracked. And what we find here is that the treasure of the gospel is deposited in these jars of clay in order to demonstrate that the power of the gospel belongs to God and not from us. Now, how does that work its way out? Well, in verses 8 and 9, Paul illustrates what he means by this. Verse 8, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. These four pairs, they describe Paul's experience as he was bumped and scratched and cracked. He was under pressure from every direction. He was under attack. He found himself confused as he tried to understand what was going on. He found himself hurt. See, his experience as a jar of clay was one of suffering but never to the point of destruction. There's a beautiful poetry here, isn't there? Hard-pressed, but not crushed. Struck down, 
but not destroyed. Perhaps we would say he was down, but not out. Not because he was so strong and mighty, but because of the power working within him. You see, as he was bumped and scratched and cracked as a jar of clay, he was sustained by the treasure that was contained within him. This is how one writer puts it. If such a brittle vessel can survive the knocks and bangs his ministry provokes, the credit doesn't belong to the durability of the pot, but to the sustaining power of God. The reason he could keep going wasn't because he was strong, but because God was at work within him. It's what we see in verse 7, demonstrating that the power of the gospel belongs to God and not to us. That's his pattern of life. He illustrates it for us in verses 8 and 9, and then in verse 10, he gives a summary and draws out the significance of what's happening. Verse 10, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. See, Paul explains that his experience as a jar of clay, it felt like dying. And yet it was in the midst of that, that life was put on display. Now, what does he mean by this? Well, in verse 11, Paul says basically the same thing again, but he clarifies what he means. Verse 11, For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. See, Paul is saying that carrying around the death of Jesus in his body, that means being given over to death for Jesus' sake. And the language here is remarkably similar to how Jesus is described, handed over, given over when he was betrayed to be killed. And so Paul has this link in mind, and yet it's not just being killed for Jesus' sake that he's thinking of. It's not just that one-off moment that he's referring to. You see, he describes this as his common experience. We are always being given over to death. This is his pattern of life, not just a one-off moment. He is being exposed to death. He is being exposed to the trials that can lead to death. He was vulnerable. See, Paul is talking here about Christian suffering, something that all Christian believers will encounter. This is how one scholar puts it. He's looking at this passage here, and he's looking at other passages where Paul speaks about suffering, and he says this, Christian suffering is not only martyrdom and physical persecution. It is that. But Christian suffering is not only those sufferings that are glaring and monumental. No, it also involves the mundane and unspectacular. Christian suffering is an everyday matter for all. See, as we live in a world that is stained by sin, we're not immune to the trials that come in this world. In fact, we're familiar with how it seeps into seemingly every area of our lives. Uh, we feel it out in the workplace. We feel it back at home. Uh, we feel it amongst our friendships. We feel it within our families, marriages, parenting, our health. We know that we're vulnerable to being bumped and scratched and cracked. And yet in the midst of that, Something remarkable happens. Because it is in the midst of that experience as jars of clay that life of Jesus shines forth. 
so that his life, the life of Jesus, may be revealed in our mortal body. Jesus' life, that is to say, the life we have in Jesus, is put on display through those experiences. And of course, what kind of life is it that we have in Jesus? Eternal life. Resurrection life. Life that cannot be taken away, not even by death. This is our hope. And that hope is put on display in and through our suffering. See, Paul here isn't saying that it's put on display kind of alongside our suffering, as if it's only on the good days, the sunny days, the clear days when that shines forth. No, it is precisely through that suffering that our hope shines through. And so we see the result in verse 12. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. If you've been here for a couple of weeks, you'll be familiar with this pattern. We saw it back in chapter 1, verse 6. If we are distressed, if we are troubled, it is for your comfort and salvation. You see, as Paul lives out this pattern of life, it brings life to others. And so this is his pattern. Treasure in jars of clay demonstrating the power of the gospel, displaying the life that he has in Jesus and bringing life to others, bringing glory to God in and through his suffering. And we see a sort of worked example of this in verses 13 to 15. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Paul goes back to Psalm 116. And he finds there this parallel with his own experience. You see, the psalmist was also in deep distress. He was in a desperate situation. He was being exposed to death, the trials that lead to death. And yet in the midst of that, he had this rock-solid confidence that God would deliver him. And Paul sees in this a parallel with himself. He says he has the same spirit of faith, the same posture of trust. You see, Paul too had this confidence. He had this hope. And of course, for Paul, this hope is a resurrection hope. Verse 14, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. Paul knew that no matter his circumstances, the one who raised Jesus from the dead would raise him as well and present him before himself in splendor and so he keeps going he keeps laboring he keeps enduring being bumped and scratched and cracked because of this hope that is within him and the result is just like what we saw earlier verse 15 all this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. This is his pattern of life. Treasure in a jar of clay, displaying the power of the gospel, bringing life to others, bringing glory to God. That's Paul's pattern of life. And what's his pattern? Is the pattern of all who put their faith and trust in Jesus. See, this is a challenging word as we look at this pattern of life. But there is, in fact, deep encouragement. Because you can know that your suffering 
does not stop God working through you. Your suffering does not stop God working through you. Think of it this way. Perhaps we'd be tempted to think that surely God would prefer to use people who are strong and mighty in what he does. If he was to showcase the power of his gospel, if God was to put on display the hope we can have in Jesus Christ, surely he would choose to use people whose lives are going well, whose lives look good and impressive. Of course, that's how our advertising works, isn't it? Think of just how many ads you see every day here in Hong Kong as you go out from your home to your workplace or to meet someone or to the mall. It's on the side of the street, stretched across the side of a building. As you wait for the MTR train, there's nothing to do but look at that big, bright advert in front of you. As you go up the escalators, as you go through tunnels, everywhere, selling all kinds of different things. And yet, they're not just putting on display their product. No, what they're doing is they're trying to showcase the life that you could have if you buy this thing. It's as if they're saying, this is what it could look like for you if you bought into this. And of course, these ads, they look great, don't they? They look glamorous. What does it look like to have eternal hope in Jesus Christ? Go back to the question we started with. If you were to find someone who had this hope in their bones, what would their life look like? What would you see? Well, what we have here, it seems counterintuitive because it looks like dying. It looks like being exposed to death. And yet it is precisely through that, that resurrection life shines forth treasure in jars of clay. See, perhaps for some of us here, we know all too well that we are a jar of clay, fragile, brittle, weighed down by trials and burdens. Perhaps we feel like we're, we're barely keeping our life together. The word you hear so often is that we're, we're surviving. Hardly the kind of picture that we want to put on a poster to demonstrate the hope of the gospel. And yet, friends, that is precisely how God chooses to display the hope of the resurrection. It is precisely through jars of clay like you and me that God showcases eternal hope in Jesus Christ. Because as we limp along, clinging to our hope in Jesus, God demonstrates that the power of the gospel comes from Him and not from us. He brings life to others through that. He brings glory to Himself. You can know that your suffering does not stop God working through you. And even more than that, you can know that your suffering cannot take your hope from you. If we're honest, it can sometimes feel like this bright and glorious hope is completely eclipsed by the circumstances we're in. We can find it hard to even picture how our hope could shine through that. There's a book that is on our bookstore. In fact, it was on our bookstore, but in the first service, everyone has bought it. So, 
It is no longer on our bookstore, but the book is called The Moon is Always Round. It follows the story, retells the story of a family dealing with loss, and it's a great resource for helping children grapple with the question of God's goodness when things are difficult. You see, it tells the story from the perspective of their little boy, their son, and it hinges on this image of the moon. You see, we know that the moon is round, but we can't always see it. We can't always see all of it. Depending on the time of the month, perhaps it's a half moon or a crescent moon. Uh, if there's clouds covering the sky, then we can't see any moon at all. And yet we know that the moon is always round. Well, the father uses this image to teach his son that God is always good, even when we can't see all of it. You see, there's this question and answer, this catechism, so to speak. He asks, what shape is the moon tonight? Maybe half moon, crescent moon. What shape is the moon always? The moon is always round. What does that mean? God is always good. Even when we can't see it. God is always good, even when the sky looks dark. Not just when it's sunny and clear outside like it is now. Because our hope stands firm in Him, even on our darkest days. See, the question actually continues. How do you know that God is always good? Because of Good Friday. What happened on Good Friday? In the darkness, God's Son, Jesus, died for our sins so that we could be forgiven. Our hope stands firm even on our darkest days. Because we know that it was on the darkest day, it was through the darkest day, that Jesus won for us our hope. When Jesus took on flesh, he made himself vulnerable. When he was handed over to be killed, he looked utterly powerless. When he hung on the cross, darkness covered the whole land as Jesus sat under the weight of God's judgment. And yet it was precisely through that darkest moment that Jesus won for us our hope. You see, Jesus died in our place. He paid for our sins. And when he was raised from the dead, his resurrection declared him victorious. Victorious over sin, victorious over death. And what that means is that for everyone who puts their hope and faith in Jesus Christ, they have a hope that nothing can take away. Not even death can take that away if their life is bound up with Jesus Christ. Because they know that when Jesus returns, the one who raised Jesus from the dead will raise them and present them before himself in splendor. It is an eternal hope that shines through our suffering. And so we can know that our suffering cannot take our hope from us. That's what we see here in Paul's pattern of life. That's the encouragement we can have as we live out that pattern. And as we take it, as we take that encouragement, it shapes our perspective. See, in the final few verses here, we see Paul's perspective as well. Therefore, verse 16, we do not lose heart. 
Paul's hope shines through his suffering. And so he keeps going. And it changes how he looks at things. He changes what he sees. Verse 16 again, Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. See, it looks like Paul's life is just wasting away. It looks like he's perishing. But what does Paul see? He sees that actually he is being renewed day by day. Paul isn't sort of making a separation within himself of kind of what's on the inside is important and then his body doesn't matter. No, he's distinguishing here between perspectives. It looks like his trajectory is going down. It looks like his trajectory is only leading to death. But he sees his trajectory is actually leading to life. His hope shines through. We see it again in verse 17. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. He was weighed down by troubles. We've seen that through this series. And yet, what is it that Paul sees? He sees them as light and momentary. Now, it's not that Paul is making light of his sufferings. He's not saying... You know, they're not a big deal. No, they were a big deal. But he compares them to the eternal weight of glory that awaits him. His hope shines through. It changes how he looks at things. It changes what he sees. Verse 18, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Put it this way, Paul's horizons were filled with trials that he could see, perhaps as far as the eye could see. But his vision was filled with what we cannot see. An eternity at home with Jesus. That's what he sees. He wasn't home yet, but he knew that Jesus has said that he will bring him home. His hope shines through. It's like one of those glorious sunsets. Red, orange, pink, purple, all somehow mixed together. And when the sky is filled with that kind of color, it's as if it's kind of flowing out, bursting at the seams. And when you catch a little glimpse of it, you can't help but notice it. Even if you don't get to see so much of the sky from your window, even if it's just a little corner of the sky, you're drawn to it. It's as if you want to move towards the sunset, even though you can't really get any closer. Now, of course, you can still see everything else at that time of day. It's still light enough. The foreground is still there. The horizon is filled with other things. But your vision is captured by this glorious color that fills the sky. Well, in a similar way, this is Paul's perspective on life, shaped by the hope that he has. See, when we grasp that our eternal hope shines through suffering, it changes what we see. It changes how we look at things. Let me finish uh, by telling you about a man called Tim Challies. Some of you may recognize the name. He's a Christian writer and blogger. 
And very sadly, he lost his son a few years ago. His son was just 20 years old. Uh, he was preparing to be a pastor and engaged to be married the following year. But then completely out of the blue, while he was playing sports on campus, he collapsed and he died. And over the following year, this man, Tim Challies, he writes and processes how he's wrestling with this. And it's been put together in a book. And in one of the chapters, he asks the question, how long is the dash? How long is the dash? See, he's reflecting on his son's gravestone, the dash between the year of his birth and the year of his death, the, the date of his birth and the date of his death. See, for his son, that dash, it represented just 20 years. On the gravestone next to it, represented 70 years. There's a gravestone a bit further behind that represented just a few months. How long is the dash? But as he asks this question, he asks another question. How long is eternity? How long is the dash that represents life that has no end? It would go to the edge of the gravestone. It would go to the edge of the cemetery. It would go to the edge of the country. It would go round the world again and again and again. And he applies that to his life. See, for the rest of his life, he has to live with the pain of losing his dear child. It, it never kind of goes away. And he doesn't know how long his life is going to be, how long he has to live with that pain. But this, he says, but I do know that whether it is days from now or decades, the line between the day of my birth and the day of my death will represent a blip. Just the briefest of moments when compared to the vast eternity to come. And then I'll be forever with my boy, just beyond the edge of my dash. Friends, here is a man whose hope shines through his suffering. And it transforms what he sees. What will you look at this week? What will you fix your gaze upon? What will you fill your vision with? See, we're not home yet. But we know that Jesus has said that he will bring us home. That's our hope. That is our eternal hope that shines through our suffering. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for the hope we have in Jesus Christ, this resurrection hope, this eternal hope, a hope that nothing can take away. And we pray that by the power of your Spirit, you would then transform our perspective in light of that. We pray that you would enable us to fix our eyes on the eternity to come, that that would enable us to keep enduring in the present. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.